Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And like a commentator, vaguely, potentially looking at Fiji's game against Wales and going... That could be interesting three times during the game. The Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast looms, veers back into your ears and back into um, our hearts and souls. I didn't write this in advance, uh, which was a mistake on my part. I am joined as ever by Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. And I'm very glad that they're making up games between Wales and Fiji, which obviously didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, they never play in a World Cup, do they? No, never at any World Cup, let alone all of them. Never happened at all. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined finally by the one, the only, of Rugby Reg himself, Reg Roberts. How are you doing? Uh, Robbie Will, I'm, I'm thrilled, mate. I'm, I'm pumped tonight. I'm really excited to to connect with you guys. Big mm. fans of what you've done. I must admit that I, as my son was leaving the house this afternoon, I said, guess what I'm doing tonight? I'm uh, on a podcast with Squidge Rugby. And he was blown <laughs> away. So <laughs> thrilled to be here. We'll get him on eventually. We'll get him on eventually. <laughs> Line him up next. Absolutely. No, no, it's great to be here. And this has been a great opportunity to, you know, I love this retrospective rugby looking back on and, and great games past. Great games might be a little bit loose on this one, but, you know, looking back at the history, <laughs> you know, it's, it's good fun. Yeah. yeah. So we were just saying, you just brought up before air, and we both missed this entirely just from, you know, you're a fantastic follower on Twitter. Anyone that doesn't follow at Rugby Red, please do yourself a favour. And, you know, I love your, your past work's been fantastic but we're both unaware until you brought this up directly before we started recording your work with the queensland rugby history foundation the heritage yeah foundation? heritage foundation yeah. yeah mate it's look it's interesting so i used to work at the reds a little while ago back in the heydays of the sort of the two ten, ten two tens elevens twelves oh thing. the quake cooper um, game, yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they mentioned me in the same sort of mouthful as, as played <laughs> um <laughs> And but yeah, as you sort of pick up, I love the game. And, and so you're a Super mm. Rugby winner, Reg? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there was a time there that I actually worked at Queensland Rugby back in '94, '95, and that was the last time Queensland won the Super Rugby trophy, albeit the amateur version. Though we played the Super <laughs> Eights back then, or what a Super Tens it was, and Holy we won shit, it then. So sorry. there was there was a very point there where i was the only link between queensland winning all of its super rugby titles you're one wow. of the very few queensland based double super rugby title holders well, triple mate we won it 94 and 95 and holy shit yeah. Yeah, this is know. unbelievable this is we are here in red's royalty you're yeah you're the red's eddie jones and rob mcqueen <laughs> rolled into one yeah exactly i'll tell you that Ed rod in there that's nice <laughs> yeah so anyway mate they, they're doing this a lot of work down at ballymore which is you know it's still got a special place in my heart and most people who sort of grew up around rugby in Queensland. It's got that, I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's 
it's got this feel about it. Even now, it's a decrepit, rundown venue and hasn't had a Wallaby test in decades. But you still walk into the place and you can feel the aura of it. So mm. I love the game. And it's just got a whole heap of government funding. It's being upgraded. It'll be this great new high-performance centre for Queensland rugby. But to their credit, Queensland rugby wanted to make sure that we we remembered the history of the game. It's 140 years of Queensland rugby now since it was sort of first... Um, uh, established to, would you believe, to protect mm. us from the the the, um, the concerns over the the impending AFL domination of Queensland rugby. So it gave us a bit of a stake in the ground, and, and they just want to make sure that the history of the game is remembered. So that's part of mine and a, a few key players around us um, to make sure we showcase that and and also celebrate. You know, it's one looking back, it's two making sure it's aspirational, and it's really exciting part of it to making sure the women's game gets front and centre. Mm. Um, really exciting part of the, you know, the Wallaroos will base themselves there as of mm. next year. And so making sure that's all sort of really front and centre too. We're, we got to, you know, part of that job is looking at the Hall of Fame and we got to um, inaugurate our first ever women into the Queensland Rugby Hall of Fame last year. Wow. Selena Tranta, who's a legend down here, tough as they come, uh, open side flanker, one of the most capped Wallaroos and Reds players. And, you know, you guys know this, the most capped Wallaroo players played 30 tests. Yeah. You, know, you can yes. compare that to the most capped English women players and it's mm. um, embarrassing. So, you know, it's good to play that role to sort of help celebrate the game that's been, but also where it's going as well. Mm. That's absolutely amazing. So as someone involved in this kind of heritage history type foundation, you obviously, you know a, an awful lot about Queensland rugby, about Australian rugby, about the era. Are you also learning a hell of a lot as you go and picking up more as you're part of this project? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm staggered by how it has evolved, the game. And Mm. and without blowing smoke up your bum, that's why I love your videos. I learn so much from it. And it's embarrassing sometimes to realise how little I know. I I, Mm. I I don't pride myself, but I love the game. I genuinely love the game. Mm. I love the stories. And I've got, it's such a big part of my life. My old man was a high level It comes across. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a big part of it. But I, it's great to see that whole next level. And I often get people asking, why don't you go and coach the local Colts team? And I, I, one, my time doesn't allow it. But two, I just realised how far away I am to the current coaching mm. techniques and strategies I am sort of thing. There'd be a lot of catch up work, but it's, um, so I, I love seeing that too. And just the, 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 um, the, the planning and cunning that goes in the game. If mm. I could touch back on that two eleven, it was such mm. a great experience to be with Ewan McKenzie. So Ewan was coach, came to the Reds at 210 and he's such a wonderful bloke. So interested in every aspect of the organization and the game, juniors and seniors and all that sort of stuff. But he was such a smart guy and he was always working three games ahead. And his team, you know, Matt Taylor mm. and Jimmy McKay and stuff, he was always working three games ahead. And and he just had this great team, Quaid and Will, who could deliver on his game plans. But he actually had game plans, which we haven't seen enough in Australian rugby or mm. like definitely in rugby. So it was great to see how he'd take the South Africans on one week and then he'd play the Kiwis the next mm. week and it'd be different. And I, I, I love that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, it's it's just Australia grew up or sort of my generation, I guess, you know, the Bob Dwyer days of being mm. a smart rugby team. And I just feel we've lost that a bit. So it's, um, I love seeing, you know, where we can take the game and, and, and how we can mm. manipulate the game. It's fantastic. Something so exciting about Eddie Jones coming back. Um, yeah. And also watching this game, which we'll get into, but there's a reminder of how, how watching Australia was when I was a kid that I think yeah. has but... changed a bit um, down the years. I think it's interesting you bring that up as well. Like 
Uh, when we were kids, we used to get up mm. and watch the Reds play Super Rugby uh, because we were so was. excited by that era of the Reds, the, yeah. the Ewing at McKenzie era. Which, but it was appointment viewing. It was some weeks, yeah. you know, it was an 11 a.m. kickoff and that was fine. But some weeks on a Saturday, you know, when you're teenagers, you don't want to be getting up at 6 a.m., but I'd do it to watch Cooper and Genia play together. Yes, exactly. And, and Dick Biuani. Yeah, it was appointment yeah. viewing. It was hugely exciting, even from the other side of the world. It, it's such a funny vibe watching this game, and it took me back. And there's probably a couple of links you don't might not appreciate, but the Wallaby coach was John Connolly. And we can mm. talk about how he, how he got this role. But he was famous for coaching the Reds, and he actually coached the Reds to those two Super Rugby titles, the you know, non-Super Rugby titles mm. in 94, 95. But he was a coach in Super Rugby when it started. So 96 to 99, 2000, had a great team. I mean, they're always a success of a good coach is make sure you've got three once-in-a-generation players with you. And he had <laughs> sort of Timmy Warren, Johnny Eels, Todd Ikefu, Jason Little, Ben June, Chris Latham. You know, so he had a pretty handy <laughs> All right, yeah. So, you know, he always would have had these Wallaby aspirations, never quite got them until this sort of mm. this era of the Wallaby team. But the other interesting thing you mentioned, Eddie, is that this year, 2007, having been sacked by the Wallaby coach to be replaced by John Connolly sort of a year and a half earlier, he took on the Queensland Reds coaching job in 2007 mm. and it was an unmitigated disaster <laughs> and which culminated in the last game of the season, travelling over to Pretoria to play the Bulls and getting beat in 96-3 to or something like that. And it was just one of the most, the, the absolute, you know, low point of Queensland rugby in the professional mm. era. All under Eddie. It's amazing. And he used, he says that's a bit of a defining moment. He realised he took the job when he wasn't ready and all that sort of stuff. He's still angry at Australian rugby and obviously then went away to Japan and South Africa mm. and all and that story goes from there. But it's a, it's a, just this game or well, this year, 2007, such a remarkable links to sort of Australian rugby, where it's been, where it's going. So Yeah, because it's always the chapter in Eddie Jones's past that's kind of glossed over as someone that's, you know, read a lot and done a lot on him because because the sheer amount of kind of rugby history he's been involved in yeah. um of you know modern rugby history yeah it's always that his like very brief spell of the reds is always brushed over and a little bit his time with saracens but he was only a consultant there yeah. but yeah it just kind of there's kind of that era where he was almost disappears but not to but no john Connolly. we haven't really talked about when we've done this but he strikes me as a fascinating character like former nightclub bouncer turned wallaby coach yeah so nicknamed Knuckles for obvious reason. <laughs> One for his job, but also he was a front hedgehog. row forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a front row forward in club footy. Yeah, very solid club footy player. Nothing great aspirations, but played mm. in the great brothers team. So brothers team in Brisbane is one of the most iconic teams. That's where, you know, John Eels, Elton Flatley, current day Harry Wilson, Fraser McWright all mm. played there. But back then it was Paul McLean and Tony Shaw and Chris Handy and all these sort of legends of the game back then. And Knuckles, just one of those hard-nosed uncompromising forwards as you'd expect but all of a sudden you know got these opportunities and, and was the Queensland coach replacing a guy called Bob Templeton who's another mm. sort of icon of the game in Queensland rugby one of our all-time greats coaches for about 380 games sort of thing and Knuckles took over and um, just had this amazing period you know found mm. Horn and Little as a couple of teenagers and introduced Eelsey not too long after that as a 20 year old and it's and not then too just, bad you know, yeah, I know, I know. Talk about a, a golden sort of generation sort of thing. But um, And you add in that just the likes he had around him. It was, you know, Michael Liner still had a, a lot of good years around him and Dan Crowley and guys. So, yeah, uh, David Wilson, Illy Tabua, who was coach of the, you know, Fiji team in this game we're yes. going to talk about. So uh, remarkable, yeah. 
It comes up a couple of times in commentary that those two are quite good mates, doesn't it? Connolly and Tambua. Yeah, yeah. And it's brought up in the interview and they ask Eddie Tambua before the game, like, oh yeah, so John Connolly's a good friend of yours, isn't he? And he goes, yes, but I want to beat him today. And it like, because yeah. he, he was extremely like one sentence answers. I love Tambua's interview before this. Yeah. Which is so non-committal. He gives, they ask him the first question. He says something very simple, like, yes, we want to win the game and starts to walk away. Like that's the end of the interview. <laughs> And, and they pull him back and he does the rest and he just gives the shortest, sharpest, most to the point, almost pointless answers. Yeah. It's wonderful. He's in, got no time for it whatsoever. In themes we've covered in past in 1987, a big narrative of this game is Fiji picked their second team with mm. an eye on the Welsh game coming up, that allegedly coming up, that obviously they don't stand a chance in, but it could be interesting, who knows. <laughs> So we'll come we'll come on to how that ages, yeah. but it's it's very similar to in 1987 they picked their second team to play against the All Blacks. Then afterwards they asked Colly Rackeroy, the captain, you know, what do you think of that? And he goes, yeah, we basically weren't trying because we've got Italy in a week. And they ask Ili Tambu before the game, like, oh, you've picked your second team here, you know, is that with an eye on Wales? And he goes, yeah, we've picked a lot of players who don't really know what they're doing, and that should be okay. <laughs> and he just admits it. Yeah, the commentators catch on to that too. I, think, well, I forget the main guy's name, but he must mention that half a dozen times during the yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, saying, I wish they picked their first team. This would have been really yeah. competitive. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the game today, we're going to look at Australia's 55-12 win over Fiji in Montpellier during the 2007 World Cup. As you say, it's a really interesting era for both of these teams. Fiji obviously go on to get, you know, the luck in that cancel game against Wales. They get given the points for it. Um, (laughs) Because they're alphabetically first. Yes. It's really screwed over Wales a lot in the world. Yeah, You know, it's just well they only play, if they played the whole of Samoa, they would have been alphabetically after them. (laughs) That damn norovirus in the Welsh team. (laughs) (laughs) That reoccurs every time they have to play a South Sea Island. (laughs) But as you say, Australia at this point are being very much talked up as real contenders for the title. And watching them play here, I really got a sense of that. You really yeah. got a sense of, yeah. I kind of forgot that this isn't one where Australia go really deep into the tournament. I wouldn't disagree with John Connolly to his face, mm. but him at the end of this game saying like, oh no, I think we were rubbish today. It was like, no, I think you guys were class. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'd forgotten about this too, and I guess it was listening to the commentators and they're so positive. And I, maybe it's hindsight knowing what was to come, mm. but mm. We, we pretty much remember this as a debacle of a Rugby World Cup, you know, mm. as a as a as a, a, an outrageous situation, obviously quarterfinals and all that sort of stuff. Now, you know, I must admit, I think, and we'll get into the game detail, I'm sure, but they were a little bit patchy early on. Fiji had that sort of, mm. you know, put them off their game. But, you know, the whole knuckles thing, and the poor John, I mean, John's been trying to be Wallaby coach forever. He got beaten by Bob Dwyer, who took over to win the 91 sort of World Cup, got beaten by McQueen again, he wanted it then, and finally got the numbers there. But this was, it was always seen as a fill, seen as a fill in. We had to get rid of Eddie, we'll give knuckles a couple of years to the World Cup, and then we'll find someone good. So he almost hmm. always, you know, it was a no-win situation for him. But yeah, it was interesting to hear how positive the commentators were in the Wallabies and then even the set piece of the Wallabies was dominant and how strong they thought that was and that gave me shudders knowing what was to come a couple of games later. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your memory of this tournament of where you were, your kind of relationship with this team? Does anything kind of stand out? As you say, obviously, I think a lot comes in hindsight when you look at that one quarter final, which is the game that stands out from an Australian perspective. 
but do you remember the kind of tournament or anything around it and the kind of leading and everything as well? Yeah, yeah. So it was an interesting stage. I think because of that, the, the whole Connolly thing, it mm. felt very much like a an in-between, a team in transition. Mm. Like we mm. never felt that, I don't think it was Connolly's team. He was brought in, um, and if you remember part of the Eddie sort of deal at the end of his Wallabies, he really de-emphasised the scrum and mm. the role of the front rower. The story was that he worked out that scrums took 4% of the game, so we will, we will train 4% of the time on scrums. Nice. And so that kind of indicated where we were in that perspective. And that started to show. So Remember Knuckles that era not... where Australians couldn't scrummage. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to remember. But um, <laughs> so Knuckles changed it. So that was part of his edict. And he brought in Michael Foley, another hard-nosed sort of hooker, front rower from Queensland, as the forwards coach who would have done. Mm. They used to call Michael Foley a SOX which is an acronym for SOK, Son of Knuckles. So he was just okay. John Cotley a little bit younger. And, and he brought in guys like, so the year before, 2006, he made the debut of a guy called Rod Blake, Rodney Blake, who was the Rodzilla, who was, so Blake crawled so Taniel Tupo could run. He was just <laughs> 130 kilo behemoth who loved to range out wide, didn't quite have the acceleration or the power game of, of Nella but um, was definitely that sort of, you know, an attacking prop, but a Mm. monster. Brought him on, Greg Holmes, who features in this game, and a couple of these young big props and refocused on on the scrum, and it seemed to be working. So, you know, but at the same time, so he had Knuckles unsure, some of these young players, but then you had guys like Latham and Gregan Mm. and Larkin, probably more Gregan and Larkin in particular, who were eking the best out of and were just trying to squeeze the washer out of them, get the most we can. And as it turned out, gosh, from, from a tournament as a whole, that's the last we saw Gregan, last we saw Latho, last we saw Bernie Larkham in Wallaby Colours. So, you know, mm. it was it was like this really strange, you know, intermediate Wallaby team and phase. Normally you'd want to be peaking at a World Cup and it just felt a little bit mishmashed. I don't think we always had a lot of confidence, particularly because we had young guys coming in. And these old guys, and we weren't quite sure if it had, it had meshed. And as it turned out, we were pretty accurate. So that's the really interesting thing when you look at that Wallaby team that's named and the squad at large. Is as you say, it's transition. There's a lot of there's players like Larkham doesn't play in this game, but he's in the squad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Guys like Lottie Tukuri, George Gregan, Morty's um, out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right through this team, who you think of as players from kind of the previous generation, you know, you think mm-hmm. of kind of the 2003, 99 kind of players that are still hanging on here. Mm-hmm. Then you've got alongside them the Ashley Coopers, the Drew Mitchells, the kind of beginnings of that team. Eric Barnes, yeah. Yeah. That team that kind of goes on in the following World Cup and the period around it, you know, wins the rugby championship, you know, finishes third in the World Cup and then makes a final afterwards. And it's a lot the start of that generation. There is this weird meshing, and there's a few, you know, the Phil Wall's still going, but he's alongside Rocky Elson. And there's this kind of, like, as you said, meshing of just these these different eras of the Wallabies in this team. And it is, there's something kind of almost video game-ish of putting the best, in some ways, some of the best Wallaby players of the last 20 years together, but they're yeah. all at different points, different places. Yeah. And it doesn't mesh in the way you necessarily hope. But it, they're also, they're a lot of fun to watch when they're coming up against an opposition who aren't bothered yeah. to organise their defence. <laughs> I mean, if you ask someone to pick up, what's your best Wallaby backline of the professional era? Mm. There's every chance I'd go Gregham, Larkham, Giddo, Ashley Cooper, Takuri, Mitchell, and who was fullback? Oh, and Latham. 
And yeah. that was the back line yeah. without Mortlock sort of thing. That, that, that That's the back line. But it was just, like you say, somewhere at the tail end and somewhere at the, the start of the yeah. journey. Yeah. It's a really, like, we say it's every Australia game we cover, but, like, that back line is the most entertaining backline mm. in the tournament. Mm. And this is not damaged at all through the loss of those players we've just mentioned. Like Adam Ashley Cooper is somebody that Robbie and I share yeah. an absolute love for One from of across my the world. Favorites. And watching him as a nipper playing in this game was great. And we'll come on to the try he scores later on, but seeing him do his dive and his slap of the ground when he scores is just something I have such immense nostalgia for because Again, waking up early right as a teenager and watching him do that was just one of the best feelings in rugby. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, amazing. It, yeah, that's because it, again, you know that that Gitto Ashley Cooper Mitchell combo was the the combo we rode to 2015 too. And mm. yeah. this time we didn't have the expectations and they went far beyond what we thought. So yeah, you're right. It's a it's an incredible sort of almost like a, a snapshot in time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The pack as well, like Phil War can still play. Like mm, at this point, yeah. you've got Cliffy Palu coming in at eight, who is fantastic. And one of those players who often kind of flew under the radar because he didn't kind of play in the the big Wallaby games where they, you know, won silverware that often. But he was a really good carrier with a really great skill set. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. He's always one that sort of seemed to. Um isolate the fans a little bit you know for and against but it, w- w- what was interesting is every year we have what we call our john eels medal which is the wallaby player of the year mm. which is an, voted by all the players three two ones after every game and he was always at the top so the mm. players loved him you know the fans were maybe and maybe the fans were living off the glory days of todd Kefu or stuff like that sure and, you know it's a hard act to follow but it was interesting how the fans and the players never quite aligned i mean obviously he had his fans Cliffy, or what was he called? Weecliffe Palu the first couple of times in this game, but his own players loved him. Mm. You mentioned that. Ricky Elson was also playing on the yeah. flankers, according to the comms. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wasn't he interesting? I mean, he showed a little couple of glimpses of that running game of him, but it was mm. really, was it the next year he headed off over to Ireland? I think 2008. Yeah, yeah 2008. And that, yeah. that was really what changed his game, or seemed to bring him out of his, out of his shell. Just one of those perfect meshes of what a club needed and what a player needed. So yeah, he came yeah, in and just exactly. like revolutionised that Leinster team, and they won the Hiding Cup like purely off the back of him and get like seemingly mad and it helped him out. Game. Yeah, well, and then he like, turns into player just I think for yeah, yeah, yeah coming yeah. in and playing this leadership role and being so good, having such a burst of form, and I think just the two like it led to Leinster becoming the team they are now, where they're you know dominant up until they lose the final of every competition in Europe, and Rocky Elson becoming the player he'd go on to become. Yeah. yeah, he could be the only yeah. signing you make in a season, and you'd be completely fine. It'd be brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, remarkable. And like I said, I only saw a glimpse of it this time. That sort of ranging, wide running. But mm. I was always such a fan of him. He's a wonderful player. Yeah. yeah. To look at the Fiji team just very quickly because it is, as you say, it's a more mixed team. There's perhaps fewer of the kind of big star names that go on to become incredibly well known for uh, the training session that they broadcast uh, (laughs) instead of that Wales game. But it's still a bloody talented Fiji team. Yeah, I think it's the one team that the back three can certainly match the Wallabies for entertainment. Mm. Looking at Norman Lingairi at fullback, who has been just incredible this whole tournament so far. There's a really exciting Fijian fullback called Norman. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. And on the wings, Isaiah Naivua is a player who I'd never seen or heard of before this World Cup, but has lit it up in the pool mm. stage alongside Villamoni de la Salle, who is, of course, a sevens legend, who the commentators at one point criticise and say, like, he's not as good in 15s, but no, he still rips it up. Yeah, well, Naivua, the winger, mm. was controversially chosen ahead of Rubini Kagabuka for this World Cup. Uh, I think it was the start of Cal Cal's uh, Pizza Hut days. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know... The cigarettes the, and the booze. Yeah, yeah, very sad descent that happened. And it was kind of quite a controversial call at the time. But he has absolutely made it up, hasn't he? Yeah. Because he played up until now a handful of games in the MPC. And then he played a couple of games for Fiji Warriors. And then was drafted in here. All his games for Fiji were in 2007. And he then yeah. didn't have much of a wow. after us. He went to go and play for Viadana in Italy. And then kind of dropped the face of the earth after that. That's such a shame. It's an unbelievable burst of form that always remains in all of these, you know, it's quite a famous Fiji team. Yeah, yeah. Also, quite interestingly, at 10, they bring in Wesele Lovignani, who Mm. is a player we briefly covered in 2011 because he played Mm. in that amazing Fiji-Namibia game that we were obsessed with. And he's a really talented player who... You don't get very many glimpses to actually look at. But again, like uh, you can tell he's very inexperienced at this point. I think it's only like his second or third cap at this stage. And not only him, but also his halfback partner, Jean-Ed Dakanikuvu, is on his first cap. Yes. Two of the front row are on their second cap. It's yeah. so inexperienced. Dakanikuvu is a really interesting case as well, because he was a sevens legend who had taken the captaincy from Sarevi when he retired. Right. And was a huge name in sevens but had only really come across to play 15s at all for this tournament, around this tournament. That does so make very sense. Very recently adapted uh, and had also played most of his games of 15s on the wing. Right, okay. Uh, but was a scrum off in seconds. I was going to say, because there's one or two points where he makes a break and you go, Jesus Christ, how on earth are you going <laughs> to yeah. catch him? But like when it comes to game management stuff, he looked utterly clueless. Yeah. So yeah, he was kind of jumping into the deep end a bit, I think. Playing nine in 15s and nine in sevens, very different. You know, playing wing yeah. in both is manageable. Ten in both, sure. maybe at a push. but Ten in one, is, 15 in the other, I'd say, yeah. is manageable. Yeah, You see a lot of scrum halves and sevens come over and play on the wing, which he yeah. done as well. The bits of 15s he had played largely on the wing before right. this. So it's a bit of a jump for him. Uh, went on to play in the Pro D Duff for a few years after this, which, okay. bless him, you know, that's, that's not what you're hoping for. The giving of your sevens career to end up having your eyeballs gouged out <laughs> on a weekly basis. Loads of space to no space whatsoever. <laughs> yes. Or lots think... of space just because all the tackles have lost their arms. That's the true. Or been sent off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the last point to make on this Fiji team, other than actually, I want to quickly say, Yone Kovu and Kovu is on it in at number eight, who mm. is a great player who I remember watching kind of at the very end of his career. Hell of a carrier. Great to see him. But in at Hooker, they bring in Veroniki Saltoranga, who again, they, they say he's on his second cap. And mm. God bless him, he has an absolutely torrid time out there, especially with the lineouts. Uh, it's worth saying. Nkuvu at eight. You say the Telemans career. He's still going in the French fifth division. No! He's one of those that just kept dropping down divisions. So he was playing for Racing until 2014, played for La Rochelle for a while, and then it just kept dropping down. Like he's basically dropped a, a, a division each season. Like Ricky I am terrified for so many flankers and scrumards in the French fifth division <laughs> coming up against a what forty-five-year-old Johnny Nkovu who has probably eaten a lot of pizza. 
who just keep going. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot harder to pull out of tackles at that age too. So, <laughs> especially Man yeah, alive. I can imagine the size he's got to now. Yeah, if, again, if you saw the size at the end of his racing games, to, as he was he was yeah. a scrum half. But at the end of Johnny Kovu's racing days, he was hmm. already looking sizable. So I can only imagine where he's at. Good on him. Good on him. I would hate to play against that guy. So, yeah. So I think it's the kind of matchup where you go into it going, we know Australia probably going to win, but this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. When you glance at those two team sheets, when you have a look over the two teams. Uh, You've also got, as the other note, George Gregan equaling the world record for most games as captain. Yeah, it was an interesting one. There's a few little there um, snippets there. Uh, they sort of rolled out three in a row. I think it was, was it Guido's 50th cap as well mm. and Lottie Dekiri's birthday. So yes. it's you know, a big day for celebrations for the Wallabies. Just as well they backed it up because it could have been a miserable party afterwards if they got beaten. Well, not, not, not convinced Lottie backed it up. He didn't have his greatest game for the Wallabies. As <laughs> maybe finished strongly. But, yeah, yeah, the team as a whole looked uh, managed to uh, make calls for celebration. Do you think that was it? Do you think he'd been out in the afternoon? <laughs> You know, it was a 2.30pm kickoff local time. God bless him, he really wanted to try. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Tunkiri gets like a really good couple of assists, but he wanted a try so badly. Almost as much as the commentators wanted him to get a try. It's one of those weird performances for him, though, where the first half, first maybe 50-odd, 60 minutes, where he is, as you say, like nothing is bouncing his way. He's looking frustrated. He desperately wants a try. Then for 20 minutes, he clearly gives up on the idea of scoring yeah. and becomes this like undeniable, unstoppable <laughs> assist machine where he's yeah. just unplayable for 20 minutes because he's not thinking about scoring himself. He's given up on that notion. Yeah, exactly right. It, it, it just becomes a magnet for the ball. I, I think, you know, one of his first touches was was the worst clearance kick I've ever seen. I don't know if you remember it early on. It just, I don't know, he thought he was Latham and could bend himself around corners. And it, 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 it was lucky Fiji dropped the ball. It was one of those ideal, you know, terrible clearance kick, straight down Fiji counterattacking mm. back uh, a throat. And they normally those teams would eat that up, but they, I think they knocked it on and so on. But yeah, started poorly, but you're right, finished strongly. Yeah. A quick note before kickoff as well is it's a real bugbear of mine when people call the Thimby the hacker mm. and yeah. that happens here and she's like, no, no, that's a completely different thing. And because the Thimby is always terrifying, especially with this lot, even though they're in the second team, they all put in a Thimby which is worthy of, no, you need to pick me again because these guys <laughs> can shit themselves. They've got the same thing as well that we've mentioned in a few episodes recently where their anthem is sort of underwhelming and they all look like they're just waiting to get into the war dance. They can't be bothered with this like singing bit first. They want to do the violent <laughs> physical threats. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, no, I, I just wanted to talk about the thin beat because it was really good, but mm. we, can, we can get into the game though. Like, mm. I mean, we already sort of have. And the first point of note for me is the first scrum. Because yeah. at this point you think, well, this could go either way because neither team has their strongest front row out, but it could re- really set a platform. And Australia take it against the head. Cliffy Parlour comes off the base and bounces like three people. Yeah, remarkable. Yeah, I- I'd forgotten. Again, I just assume going into this game, and obviously watched it at the time, but probably the only time I've watched it, that we, we had a media scrum. But yeah, we powered through it, you know. Big lads, I guess, with Fiji, but not the same. Sunday, another cohesion and all that sort of stuff. But, God, we powered through. But then you're right, Wycliffe, like, 
jetted off the back and bounced off one and went for the other. And then I think, was it Berwick followed up with this nice little neat kick through, which uh, yeah. is his first real play as well. So it was, a, it was a, yeah, exactly. First highlight of the game was a pretty, gave a quick insight of what the rest of the game would be. A, a surprising Wallaby scrum, some not nice strong uh, Palu runs, a bit of uh, a finesse from Berwick. Yeah, yeah. And forces Fiji to boot it out on their own try line to give the Wallabies an attacking platform. and They end up turning it over in the end, but they just have such a sustained period of early pressure where the Wallabies are just piling it on them. And even though Fiji are coming up with good turnovers and stuff, they're still finding moments like, like Johnny Umkovu's attempted clearance kick, which is really funny <laughs> because clearly he thinks clearing the ball is literally just absolutely leathering it <laughs> and not realising out on the full is a rule. The first 15 minutes... 1520-ish maybe, I think are really specifically entertaining because Australia look pretty good, but Fiji are doing a huge job of frustrating them in the most unconventional ways possible because their defence is not organised at all. There is like zero organisation, zero kind of like tactics, their defence, probably not communicate anything at all. They just keep pulling off these great individual ever tribe-saving tackles. There's a couple of like great, there's one particularly great turnover on the 15-minute mark. They make on their own goal line when it looks inevitable Australia going to score, or it's a couple of there's a couple of like huge hits, a few of them after the ball's gone. Of course, um, of course, you know it's the best kind, best kind, as Ray Gravel used to say. Always get your first tackle in early, even if it's late. <laughs> and Australia have this sense of oh, we're wearing them out. We you know we're going to tie them out and then we're going to go loose, whatever. But it's just sort of. Fiji are so unconventional in the way they're frustrating them. <laughs> Fiji just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was like scramble stuff, wasn't it? There was no yeah, strength yeah. in that defence. Just scramble, there's arms and legs going everywhere at those rucks, and and um, you know putting all sorts of pressure at Gregan at, at the back as well. It was it was bizarre. Yes. It, it just it, it, you know you got to commend the Wallabies' patience, but they felt like they were just frustrated. They just couldn't quite. They, you're right, they yeah. looked sharp, but they just couldn't quite get nailed it. You know, they yeah. couldn't get through. I love Daunavuku booting the ball out of George Gregan's hands and George Gregan in the most George Gregan way possible instead of tackling just turns to the referee and goes no fucking way can he do that <laughs> and, and Nigel Owens is just like no I've had enough of what you have to say if you complain I'm just going to say play on lad like, Nigel Owens comes a couple of words short of doing the this is not soccer speech about three yeah. times <laughs> like I think he starts it twice and then just stops himself yeah. mostly with Gregan he actually gives Gregan the official warning later, doesn't he? He, he, he says, does. No more, no more officiating. No more asking me for penalties, or I'll send you off. Yeah, yeah. And what's great is the next time the Wallabies are penalised, he turns and yeah, complains to the he touch judge for it and gets the penalty. Yeah. <laughs> the commentator also says on Nigel Owens the, and I had to write this down because it's the most bizarre statement on a referee I've heard in a long time. Uh, he said, he's entertained many, then the combinated pauses and realises I've got into this and I had to finish the sentence. <laughs> and says, many a gathering in his South Wales home. <laughs> just like he's he's had a lot of dinner parties, this man. Yeah. I don't know if it's like... didn't help. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know if it's because Nigel had just come out as gay before this and he didn't know how to talk about it on TV. Has he done stand-up yet? Dinner parties, this man. I think he had. I don't know if it's that they just... It sounds like he started said he had no idea where to go. He wanted to say like he's an entertaining, funny fellow. But all he could think is he he's entertained many in his South Wales. He lives in West Wales as well, but that's just by the by. It's I don't know. It's a 
It just amused me. Yes. I should also mention about that moment where Danavuku boots the ball out of Gregan's hands. It goes mm. straight into Ratuva, the flanker, who's really, really good in this game. It goes straight into his hands. He sprints like 50 metres downfield, chips it into the Wallabies 22. And the whole time, Gregan is just eyeballing Nigel Owens. Just like, okay, when are you going to call it back? Because I am not, literally, if you give them a line out in our 22, I am not setting for it. I will stand in the way of the hooker. I will just outright refuse it. <laughs> I like as well that now this is kind of old man Gregan. He's proven his point. You know, he's won a world. He's done everything he can possibly do in the game. He's now just doing this because it's something to do in it. You know, yeah. he's he's at this point. He's just carrying like, on for the sake. We of it. all know he's one of the most talented scrumovs in history at this point. Yeah. Like, he he's totally aware of that. He doesn't need to prove anything. He's just fully leading to just being a bell end to rest. And so, I yeah, love it. Like, if he doesn't like something, he won't do it. Yeah. There is like, there's a sense, and it's not that he won't defend when Fiji have the ball or anything, but there's a few times where you get the sense off Gregan where he's like, oh, you want, you want me to hang a tactical box kick? <laughs> Do you know who I no. am? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you not find bloody Luke Burgess or someone to do that? <laughs> like, I'm George Greek. Go I've got to run off and piss Gregan. Jeff Wilson off at half time. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it is funny watching some of always I'm nice with Greg in this game. And he, you know, once the Wallabies found their groove, and we'll talk about mm. sure the, the recycling game, he comes into his own with those little dashes. But it's like you don't tackle George Gregan, you scrag him. Like he just, mm. there's something about him. He's just, there's no way of getting him down other than by he's pulling so slippery. him down. It's just bizarre. You can't do a traditional tackle on him because he's so small and muscly, and they're just all grabbing him from all angles, and it's literally just trying to scrag him to the ground. Yeah, it's. Amazing to watch him play, and yeah. there was this sense when we got to this World Cup where I thought I was going to be watching the kind of vinegar strokes of his career, but actually he's absolutely fantastic throughout. Yeah. Mm. Like he didn't lose it at all, which I was kind of expecting him to be a bit off his game. From, yeah, he's so know, good. Bits of word and bits of memory, and I think people getting caught up in that quarterfinal rather than looking at like the strength yeah, of how exactly. good he was in the pool stage and the Wallabies were in general. There is a so the Wallabies get right down around fifteen odd minutes. They're on the Fijian line. They look absolutely set to score. And Fiji, I believe it's Rotuva, comes up with an absolutely enormous turnover. Owens gives a penalty, which interestingly, the referee discussed a couple of times how he is particularly quick to reward those rather than just giving the turnover, which has yeah. become a big trend since, you know, it's yeah. something that's just catching on at the time. And Fiji, being Fiji, win this turnover between the posts on their own line and they go for the quick tap. <laughs> I wouldn't even necessarily describe it as a quick tap. They kind <laughs> of wait for the Wallabies to drop 10, do a tap, and De La Salle still makes a break. <laughs> and, like, it, was a, it was a planned move, yeah. It was a tactical anyway. Yeah. Get a position. And... It's in the most advantageous position on the field. You know, you want the middle of the pitch, don't you? Got them, yeah. just, got them just where we want them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Fiji run this on their own goal line. That's the thing, as you say, like, Delisau makes this break. And you're thinking, why are they getting away with this? <laughs> so Rocky Elson and Phil War on the field. Why are you getting away with this? To quote Claire Thomas when we had her on the podcast, they Fiji. Yes. Fiji <laughs> intensifies. Yes. And it almost feels correct when they do lose the ball around halfway. Yeah. The, the fact they get up to halfway is worrying, but the fact they lose it once <laughs> they get there feels just. Yeah. 
and is and that, directly... That's what I mean. It just, it just felt, despite, you know, you felt comfortable with Wallaby, they just didn't feel like they were on top of their game. And that's mm. an example. I mean, Fiji could do something. They're still letting them play their game a little bit. They're getting, you know, flustered into, from their defence. And then when they got the ball, they're allowing them to sort of break out like that. It was just they didn't hadn't found their groove for that first quarter of the game, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. And the settler kind of comes straight after that, where when they win that turnover, they spread it right out to Takuri right out on the touchline. All um, of the Fijians had followed the line break, ready to flood yes. through and score. So they have the tightest defensive line once the ball is actually turned over. So Taguri has a walk in the park, really, doesn't he? Great touch by uh, Palu as well, to mention him again. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Big pass. Yeah. Yeah, so Takuri makes his break, gets down to the 22, and finally everyone comes across to ruin his birthday party. <laughs> and it's funny, I don't think he aims his following pass. No, no, of course not. He just sort of lobs it, more yeah. in hope than expectation. And he's very lucky that Kunavore drops it. <laughs> he just fumbles it in a random direction where Matt Gitto happens to be perfectly placed. It's amazing that only all-time phenomenal players take those particular balls. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> happened to be there. There's four, four Fijians around them, yeah. fumble straight into Gitto's hand and he's over. Like, that falls for Matt Gitto, Brian O'Driscoll, yeah. Dan Carter. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure there's a current, maybe DuPont, you know, is probably yes. the only yeah. player in the world right now. Who he's he's passing it to himself, though. That's true, yeah. He's chucking it over his own head and it's landing yeah. there somehow in his arms. Yeah. Also, Matt Gitto, of course, goes for a really nonchalant one-handed scoop up as mm. the ball yeah. is falling yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. But, but did you hear the commentary after he scored? And I think he converted himself, but they described him as the world's most expensive player. So I had forgotten about that all the way back in 2007. So I don't know if you were of that, but he had just signed for the Western Force. So it was a Brumbies boy, obviously. Mm. Signed for the Western Force. And the force were backed by um, a company called Firepower, which ended up being a massive fraud. It was a company that positioned oh, itself wow. as um, fuel-efficient uh, pills or you could put in your fuel, your engine, to make your fuel last longer. And it was just an absolute fraud. But it was all the money they they sponsored the force. Um, they enticed Gitto and Mitchell and, may, and a, couple, a couple of other players over to the force. They never got paid. That was so, so they're getting above and beyond their salary. And that's why Gitz and Mitchell, Mitchell only end up staying for the force maybe one or two years because they oh, weren't wow. getting the money that were the exorbitant money they're getting paid. And and as as the commentator reminded us, Gitto, that made Gitto the highest paid player in the, in the world, despite the fact he actually didn't end up getting the money he was owed. That happened to Toulon as well. Did it? Where oh, supposedly did the it? only player that got paid their full amount was Backy's Boater. Because he found oh, the owner and threatened him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but they were, yeah, they reportedly just didn't, you know, they signed these contracts for huge amounts of money and then they got a fraction of it. They weren't getting the money they were promised. So wow. Matt Gitter was at a full career. I wonder if that happened. And then when he was at the LA Guiltinis, they went bust. Of during course. It. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does financial misgiving just follow him everywhere? It must do. <laughs> just remind me to not take any uh, business advice from Gitz. <laughs> that's i'd never put that together but yeah. yeah it's throughout his entire career how are the centauri single life going matt gitto's clearly been turning down paychecks and this is his uh way of 
of covering it up because yeah, yeah, he really exactly, cares yeah. for the greatest force for good in the world, that is amateurism. So he doesn't want to be paid money. That's not what he's all about, Gits. He's a yep. humble, young good the rugby lad. Yeah, good at the game. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, he takes it, he storms through, he scores the opening try. Just one of those glorious highlight reel moments that you can play in <laughs> yeah. slow motion and looks great. Yes, absolutely. And as Australia have this settler, I think that they make a huge realisation on the game plan that they should be adopting for the rest of the game. Because they see, and let's talk about this, Fiji attempt a line-out. I mean, yeah, attempt is the right word, isn't it? Yeah. Robbie, because we've done a lot of episodes of this podcast, mm. does this remind you of anything? Is the Fijian line-out in this game? It's funny. Uh, we did this whole series on the 1987 Rugby World Cup. <laughs> there is that. But also... I, I'm getting the name Bogdan Suman coming to mind, <laughs> uh, and the Romanian second oh, choice line out of 2011. Rex, this is a deep cut. This is oh, it's wow, a deep okay. cut, right. not worth learning, not, worth, not worth remembering. <laughs> but the the Heritage Museum is... do not include Bogdan Suman. <laughs> okay. Just clearing yourself out. Okay. <laughs> the second choice Romanian hooker of 2011, but it's very. This much... is what it's done to us. This yes. is this is our brains now. <laughs> you could ask me, what color is fruit and i would go purple not realizing fruit are different colors because the only thing in my brain now is old romanian teams from the rugby world cup <laughs> it's all i remember what color is it livy hadorka <laughs> <laughs> but Sauturanga, god bless him at hooker has a bit of a mare throwing in. And it's easy to bl- pin the blame on the hooker, but this entire Fijian line-out is a shambles. I think they catch one or two all game. Mm, and so yeah. Matt Gitto is just like, oh yeah, so you know that thing where they have to throw the ball in? They literally don't know how to do it. We win every single one of those. How about I just kick it every single time? <laughs> and obviously it works. And yeah, from there... I mean, uh... Yeah, I think the Wallabies would have backed their line-out anyway. Dan Vickerman's mm. sort of one of our renowned best line-out yeah. forwards. And, you know, when you've got Rocky on the side of the scrum, it makes you, uh, you know, right the side of the scrum. Very you solid as well. A, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Got a pretty good line-out there. So, um, but yeah, we didn't need much help. We could have picked, you know, Phil Warren in the second row for this game and, and would have would have come out on top of the line-outs. Get Gregan up. Get Gregan up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it makes it suddenly very easy for the Wallabies to gain control and territory. Because they just really lean into that whenever they're in that kind of middle third. They just go, well, if we just get into their 22, we will just win the ball back and we mm. can just attack with this great back line we have. It's pretty unstoppable. So well, one thing that is just to very quickly mention, having mentioned Mark Chisholm, right? Uh, we've done this before where we've done, there's a long line of like fathers of now current or retired whatever players from the 87 series. There's something close to something adjacent yeah. Yep. Do you remember, Will, Bill Campbell from the 87 series? Yes, I do. Wallaby second row, right? Mark Chisholm is married to his daughter. Whoa. Lauren. That's pretty mad. Yeah. Did not know that. So, yeah, sometime before this World Cup, Mark Chisholm, very old-fashioned, went and got his father's permission from a different Wallaby second row. <laughs> Must be a bizarre life for her, constantly being surrounded by enormously tall, yeah. violent Wallaby <laughs> men. <laughs> Apparently, you know, the, the engagement was he, he got down on one knee and looked her in the eye. And That's <laughs> <laughs> very good. David Pocock also wants to describe Mark Chisholm and having the biggest biceps he'd ever seen. 
there, there are some photos out there of I don't know if it's his arms or like arms um on his head mid game or something, but they are massive. He's mm. he's now sort of a strength and conditioning coach in the sort of rugby world up here um, in Queensland, sense. doing a bit of stuff with schools and stuff. And I think he's got aspirations to go further, but he mm. is he is a big man still. Mm. Yeah, I mean, always something that stood out about him was just his sheer size. Yeah, and the fact he was able to move. Never mind as yeah. well he did. His athleticism <laughs> was seriously, you know, undervalued with that in mind. Well, like, I'm yeah, sure really it was a game. Forward. Was it a game versus Wales in a, one of our, our end of season games? Sort of. Depends. Did what you win? No. Yeah. It's the. I remember it. Yeah. Did um, he snag yeah, a line at the back and something and run sixty yeah. meters to score? Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> Mark Jones, the most unlike unlucky winger. Wales has ever had trying to chase him down for long. <laughs> oh, bless him. Bless my, my the air, air, air traffic controller just waving him through. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next note I have on the game is just De La Salle, what are you doing? Because another very similar moment, deja vu style moment here, as Fiji defend really well for ages against Australia. And come up with this really good, massive breakdown turnover. Uh, I think it's from Kovu at the bottom. Comes up with the jackal. And you go, this is a great moment. Well done, Fiji. You've held them out. This could be a huge turning point of the game. De La Salle, no. Because <laughs> De La Salle holds the ball in his hands. And he goes, oh, well, it worked last time. You know, running against an organised defence. And yeah. just breaking through them till we got up to halfway. And so he takes a quick tap-ish. But then he instantly runs two metres and goes, oh, no, sorry, I forgot it's the other one. We're not, remembers we're playing 15s. So boots it for the touchline, just about clears the 22. What would Absolutely have been... Absolutely shanks it. Yeah. What would have been a Fijian throw if he'd taken it a foot further back <laughs> instead ends up as an Australian throw. Do you think he was hoping the ref didn't notice he tapped it? I think so. I think he was hoping he was too busy holding a large gathering in the South Wales home. <laughs> to, to he was distracted by Greg and telling him about one of his decisions again. Yes. <laughs> or just his glory days. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so Australia ended up this line out on the Fijian 22, purely off De La Salle, being slightly mad. <laughs> Yeah, and it ends up with Australia going wide and having a try disallowed for a forward pass that Gitto throws to Latham. Mm. Uh, so Degori does cross the line, and Nigel Owens says, no, no happy birthday just yet. <laughs> no birthday card this year. No. You are not invited to my small gathering. <laughs> <laughs> There's Also, after he throws that pass, Chris Latham gets hit so hard by Cunivore that he does a front mm. flip. Yeah. <laughs> after passing the ball yeah yeah the, the the old latham body i'm surprised he got up from that one but um yeah that was a that was a nasty looking incident that one mm. yeah however latham bounces back and not that long afterwards puts in an absolutely beautifully weighted grubber for drew mitchell it's lovely isn't it and flashing to the blind making that really late decision as he's really close to the defensive line puts it on his left foot, which is his preferred foot, so I shouldn't need to point that out, for Mitchell to cut inside De La Salle. Because De La Salle, for all of his strengths, he's extremely slow to turn. Mm. So Lathan putting that chip just inside him, 
means Mitchell just always has the advantage because he can always see the ball. He's always got that clay line of sight to it. Whereas De La Salle, you know, doesn't really know where he is. So Mitchell obviously beats him to it and grounds it. It's brilliant mm. by Latham. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Drew Mitchell, great yeah. finish, great pace yeah. on it. Sorry. Great hair. Great yeah. hair. I, I, Forgotten I, I, era. Peak Drew Mitchell hair time, I reckon. It's amazing. Ooh. This is the kind of forgotten era for me of Drew Mitchell's hair. Yeah, I'd forgotten too. It's like Patrick Swayze point break type stuff almost. <laughs> no, it, but it is. That's kind of the, clearly what he's going for and not quite managing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Look, so people say the same with me in West... years to come. But yeah, yeah, I've got to say. He's moved out to Western Australia. He's probably living down at the beaches there sort of thing. Latho's keep, I, I want to come back to it, and this has got a little mm. bit of a Welsh Welsh uh, link mm. for you, but there's an old coach called Alec Evans who mm. um, he spent some time in Wales. I think he actually coached Wales for a while um, back in the day. So Alex, a Queensland rugby legend, you know, played for Queensland for, for decades. Just, yeah, never quite made a test match, but it was just a tough compromising prick of a player, hard nose, and then he came on and, and coached and was a great forwards coach and he was part of the team that coached the Wallabies in the 84 Grand Slam and and has always been sort of there or thereabouts with the team, was a real hard nose forward, you know, loved a scrum, loved a ruck and a maul. But it's interesting. So he got voted to the Australian Rugby Hall of Fame mm. recently and they had this great piece on him. And Latho actually came out and said, I credit Alec with my kicking game. And Latham oh, always wow. had a great boot, a big kick, and could, could torpedo well. But Alec was the one, this old grizzled forward, who's taught him what kick he could shoot, could shoot, should use where, you know, when to boom, when to bomb, when to chip, when to grubber. And I just thought of that when this try happened, because it was such a just a nicely chosen play, beautifully mm. executed by Latham. And to think it all came back to the credit of this, you know, old 1950s, tough as buggery forward that tournament um wow that's known for the set piece well it was you know great to see that and Alex still sort of hobbling around today he's getting old Mm. but he's just a such he's revered over here so I just thought to have that that moment in this cup it was nice and nice and relevant as well yeah does that mean that Wales can take those seven points against Fiji (laughs) yeah (laughs) what what impact does that have to the score next week Alec Evans is a pub quiz question for a particularly hard rugby pub quiz because <laughs> uh, he was the first ever non-Welshman to coach Wales. Yes, yes, um, that's right. Opened the door for Graham Henry, and then later, yeah. you know, Steve Hansen and Warren Gatland, and Wayne Pivak, whoever that is. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of he is a. I think that's very much where he's seen as a kind of pub quiz question. Yeah. I think he had a good that's period nice. in Cardiff. Yeah. I think kept the back of that. But yeah, it's someone I've never known much about. So that's fascinating. Yeah, and by the looks of it, sort of as you say carried on involved in all kinds of ways right through absolutely many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So Mitchell scores that try. And Mm. then after this, Fiji go back to the drawing board and they go, right, we're two tries down. This isn't going quite as we want. Where do we think they're exposing us, lads? You know, they've got us in the scrum. There's not much we can really do about that. Gitto's constantly kicking on the front foot. Like, even after line breaks and stuff, he's pinning us in the corners and, you know, get the ball to bounce out on our five-meter line. And this line-out's not going particularly well. What do you think we can maybe do? And some genius in the Fijian pack comes up with the idea, I've got it. How about we just never throw the ball in in the first place? So, like, multiple times in that first half, Santaranga gets free kicked because he just stands there with the ball above his head and just waits. He's like, well, we can't <laughs> lose the line out if we just never start it in the first place. It's honestly an incredibly inspired idea that more people follow <laughs> through on. I don't know why it hasn't caught on. You know, you can't lose the line out if you don't throw it in. You can lose the ball, but you don't lose the line out. Yeah. It doesn't go on the stats, does it? And Nigel yeah, his percentage just... was high after that. That's <laughs> right. Nigel, I would just keep looking at Sartranga like, what are you doing, mate? Like, we have to start the game eventually. Come on, I'll give you 10 seconds, but you have to throw it in. That's part of the line out. Very good. And it's just part of that continuing, like, the scrum starts to fall apart for Fiji as well. And they're phenomenal when they get loose ball and, you know, a couple of phases to get themselves going but they're not giving themselves those chances because they've just no. given up entirely on winning the ball in the first place. <laughs> so what they're hoping for is Gitto to do a particularly poor kick or, you know, Kikura to do the kind of one that you mentioned earlier. And those are the chances they're having rather than anything they can construct something off. Yeah. The Wallabies, however, look so organised and just well-drilled mm. on everything they're doing. They're so, so... smart. Like yeah. they're just they're intelligent decisions they're making constantly. Yeah. Like that's what I was enjoying watching. It wasn't necessarily the flair or anything. It was the that's it. the intelligence like, of the rugby as well they, as the flair, speed, passion, etc. Yeah. And like they hold out. Like Fiji have a few good attacks against them, mm. and they just hold it out and counteract that by doing nothing particularly flashy. But like the second Gitto try towards the end of the half mm. is just relentless it's so Mm. good to watch because they're making hard fast direct carries around the corner going the same way Wycliffe Parlow makes a brilliant carry Mm. very unlucky not to score and Gitto finds himself on that blind side and he has three men outside him he can literally choose who he wants to score so he chooses himself (laughs) (laughs) it's a vintage overwhelmed with options yeah speed of ball yeah, but it's one of, you know, I know I've had this experience only playing touch, you know, I've never had it in an actual game, you know, where you're like, you're weighing up the pass and you realize like, oh no, they've, they've, they've tried to cover those. Like you're almost reluctant to score it yourself. Yeah. Like, oh, I it would look nicer if it could have passed. Pass yeah. Instead he dives over. It's just glorious kind of conductoring. Yeah. 
just a nice little pirouette just to show his class off his feet. But um, mm. but I mentioned before, this is where Gregan was really in his element. You know, he just, yes. you know, he had time from the base there. He knew his runners and he, you know, the way he could hold the ball and sort of manipulate the defence just with, you know, how he would, thought they would pass, he was, he'd be passing it was just magical. And he just, the, the recycling play was just such a strength in this game for the Wallabies. And that's a bit of a John Conley trait from his Queensland mm. teams. Really strong forward work, nice offload, quick recycled ball and, and keep the ball moving. It's whenever I see them play like that Gitto try and that's a few tries in the second half, it is just extraordinary to me that they don't go far in this tournament. They just yeah. look so good and so composed that's them at the so best, accurate. Sure. And you compare it to how poor England have been. It's particularly shocking. But, you know, not to hang up on what will be. Because Fiji do get another chance towards the end of the first half. And it's sort of a chance that the Wallabies look to have covered, but our boy Nevua. It's such a that's the analysis. typical Fijian thing, isn't it? That like sometimes you can just create half a chance mm. where and rely on the fact that you have one of the most talented players in the world, and that <laughs> yes. will do the rest of it. And it's unanalyzable. Un- 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 and it's something about Fijian genes, clearly. I mean, like Australia are benefiting now with Marika Kolombete, um yeah. having those those really specific genes where if you get him into a one-on-three situation, he will probably still score, and that <laughs> is very much the situation with Nivilla here he has four and a half men try tackling him I say a half because Drew Mitchell makes a fantastic business decision and just sits down once Nivilla gets the ball in his hands but he's so strong mm. it's yeah, absolutely that was an incredible finish but it, even Delisayos just sort of impact too he sort of ran that nice line straight and then just sort of seemed to almost Float his pass or time it just mm. exactly when the defence just came in a little bit and gave his winger just a bit more space. But yeah, that, the combination of that too. But that was a remarkable finish, and you know, a bit of a statement given what comes soon afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah. And the Wallabies will be really disappointed to concede that after such a dominant half. Well, because I think Australia have been dominant on top. Fiji have also looked incredibly threatening. Yeah, but I think it kind of does sum up and you know, give you an impression of what the half's been like for it to be 17-5 at halftime. I feel that's yeah. kind of a fair scoreline. Agreed. Um, Agreed. They look threatening but not structured. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. So the second half starts, the very opening is Matt Gitto slotting a penalty to make it 25-5. Is that correct? Yeah? That's, yeah, that's some, what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, we got the penalty after George Grigan asked for the penalty, so... You know, <laughs> Despite the first half comments by Nigel Owens, the, uh, he asked for the penalty and he thus received one. <laughs> Eventually he gives in. He had to. And then not long after, Beric Barnes steps up and from a kind of scrappy line out just goes, you know what? Boom. Knocks over a drop goal. Really impressive, lovely drop Absolutely goal. Absolutely drains it from a horrible angle. I really like it as a means of just kind of demoralising the opposition, you know. Yeah. If you're going to do anything, it would take you a few phases to reset because the lineup ball was horrible and it was all a bit of a mess. So, yeah, by all means, you know, just take three points if you can do it. Especially this Fijian team where, you know, yeah. once they have their tails up, they will score not just once, you know? Yeah. Like, he probably knew for a fact that the Nivea tribe was never going to be the only one they scored in that game. So let's build a lead and, as you say, just crush them. Yeah. Our last great mm. field goal kicker, Barnes, I think, you mm. know, we've... He's, I think he's up there with the most goal, uh, drop goals ever 
kicked for the Wallabies oh, wow. uh, with sort of Miner and Mark Eller and a guy called Phil Hawthorne from the early sort of 1900s. But mm. remarkably, you know, I don't think many people would pick that, but he, he's kicked a lot and we haven't kicked many since. And, and uh, I, you know, no. I think it's an underrated scoring method, even definitely. Someone teach Reese Hodge to yep. kick drop goals yep. or teach him to hit drop goals as he hits late penalties in the last minute yeah. and is <laughs> like off the crossbar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a that's a weapon waiting to happen. So yeah, so he gets them further ahead. And it's funny because exactly the prophecy you were just saying of you don't keep Fiji out for long. You know, you're not keeping them to just one try. Like it's a hell of a start of the second half. Yeah. Where the first half, you've got those 15 minutes of them just both frustrating each other. Here, instantly, you've got the penalty, the drop goal. And then Rituba turns up and again, yeah. off another messy line out. Yeah, mm. but Fiji have just brought on Raluni at this point, mm. who is probably been one of their best players in this tournament he's their usual captain mm. and they bring him on and also they change the front row around at half time clearly identifying what's gone wrong for them so far and they you know bring in a few replacements as well as Lero Ravu and Koyama Bale so Rabini as well Rabini comes on he's brilliant in this game yeah. yeah but Rolini's first real involvement in the game involves him setting up a try mm. it just sort of opens up it's the sort of thing that teams are very much coached to make sure it doesn't happen nowadays unless it's mm. really well contorted, like we saw in that uh, Champions Cup final, La Rochelle and Leinster. But it does. It just kind of the ball falls awkwardly straight into his hands and he can scoot right through. He's bloody rapid, isn't he? And yeah, I mean, you present this Fiji team with a chance. And because all of them are incredibly fast and incredibly yeah. open. And, you know, as you say, you've got most of the forwards are capable sevens players. Yeah, like yeah. You've got people able to get on hand, people able to be there to take off loads and get in position to take passes. So, yeah, when it falls to the scrum off and suddenly you've only got forwards around him, that's not a problem at all. No. Yeah. And, like, after Fiji have blown chances from structured play, then mm. it's such a statement that they can then go, oh, no, but we don't need a good opportunity to actually go 60 metres and score a try. Like, we just need half a gap and we'll go mm-hmm. for it. Because how good is... Ratuva's support line here. He gets there from the back of the line out. Yeah. It's just, and that's like you're saying, Robbie, it's just innate. I mean, and you Mm. know the skill, you know the speed, but it's this innate ability, the support play, to turn up in the right spot and just know where where to want run in that line and for the back rows and it's just such you know i know they're the perfect winger and the perfect but from a back row perspective they're just so good physical strong mm. skillful and the support play it was a well-deserved try and a, a cracker that sort of i guess gives them a bit of hope probably yeah and so you look at that and you think that could be a big moment because mm. again you think they could very easily score another one from the kickoff you know the fiji you know the Bloody Fiji. If they're anything, they're Fiji. But and they make they do a get real chance not long afterwards. Yeah. After making a mess of the kickoff, I will add. Oh, and yes. Giving away a penalty, which Gitto kicks, which does slightly dampen their momentum. But yes, go on. Well, yeah, no, they just they get another chance. However, the chance itself isn't important because this leads to the most exciting moment of the game for me, which is the co commentator mentions. The one, the only, the greatest rugby player of all time. Yes! Former Fiji fullback, Severo Coro Dua Dua. Superboot gets a mention from Simon Mannix on comms. The one and only Superboot is brought up on commentary. I can't which lie. Which is 
All I care about. I've written Super Boot in my Man of the Match contention in my notes. (laughs) Just for getting a mention. The greatest rugby player there's ever been. Finally, his legacy lives on in a way that I feel has been almost, uh, you know, diminished. And I don't feel he's been quite respected outside of Fiji as he should be. So to hear him mentioned, admittedly in the context of bombing a try. (laughs) (laughs) Minty's moment. Yeah, but the, what's great as well is Nigel Star Summer Smith, the main commentator, tries to then move the the, the conversation on, and then Simon Manick says, "No, fuck you! I want to talk about Superboot," <laughs> and brings him back. This podcast up. was, you yeah, know, when exactly. we start doing two hour podcasts on games from nineteen eighty seven, entirely because we want to talk about Superboot. Yeah, you'll be pleased to know, guys. So eighty seven, I was fourteen. Australia, mm. New Zealand hosted that World Cup. My biggest memory is Corin Durdura. Yes! Imprinted on my brain some of the play he had that World Cup and, of course, that 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 mistry or that blow and try. But I, yeah. I, I, I was such a huge fan of him. And it probably sort of impregnated that love of Fijian rugby into me. Yeah. Mm. Reg, tell us tell us about what you love about Superboot. Oh, mate, it was just that. So, the you know, as a as a yeah. you know a fairly conservative fourteen year old white boy in in sort of <laughs> big country town Brisbane, Corandurudra was just such a a fantastic remarkable name. But just it was the the massive stride, the mm, hand, the yeah. one hand. It was just it like I'd never seen so it casual. Either. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Loved. He it. just had every skill you could want, but it was like he hadn't realised that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he, he yeah. could do it all, yeah. but he was so casual about all of it. Like, he yeah. could kick goals from his own half, and he approached yeah. them like he was knocking over a conversion from five metres out. Yeah. Oh, it yeah, was yeah. glorious. Just, yeah, an absolute favourite. I was I'm out of my seat when he was mentioned on comms. Delighted to, to hear him mentioned again. Yeah. But, yeah, Fiji blow a chance or whatever. They actually, <laughs> it's, no, it is, it's a huge turnaround, I think. Fiji absolutely bomb the chance out of nowhere. And am I getting ahead of myself, actually? Because, yeah, quite a bit happened. Possibly, but go on. Finish your point anyway. Well, you know, just, yeah. Fiji absolutely bombed this chance once. He then spread wide the other way and somehow bomb it even worse. <laughs> only to lose the ball, get turned over, and Australia go the distance and score. Oh, it's yeah. Like the biggest insult to insult to injury <laughs> to Superboot mention I've ever seen. This is the Drew Mitchell try, right? Yes. Yeah, Drew Mitchell's second try. Yeah. Which Where? I have skipped ahead a bit, but yeah, no, that's that's fine. So you can't go too far ahead because you missed your Adam Ashley Cooper moment, which I can't, I shan't, I shan't. Let's yes. let's go back. Let's talk about both of those tries. I mean, yeah. the the Mitchell one, Latham recovers the ball, puts in a really smart kick downfield. Mm. Mark Chisholm you, puts Alec. in the most remarkable missed fly hack you'll ever see, which is really funny in slow mo. Taguri picks it up and just lobs it to Mitchell. Who, Jogs it in from 50. That sound about right? I mean... Yeah, I, I, I think there might have been a knock-on from Latho there at the start. Oh, too, yes, there maybe. was. I think that's a fast, that one. Um, and I think yes. it was Julian actually involved at the end, too. I just remember him sort of coming on late, too, and, and, mm. and a nice bit of class. But, yeah, just uh, yeah, this is like you say, this is when Tagiri just can't, can't get away from the ball. Yeah. yeah. Of course, uh, it was, yeah, as you say, Latham knocks it on in the tackle, which is why yeah. they end up getting it back. But it's missed. And the, Julian uh, Huxley comes on and absolutely tears it up. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Because before we talk about AAC, by the way, we must talk about the circumstance in which Julian Huxley comes on. Because Scott Stanathorth oh, yeah. comes on the field and mm. 
touches the ball once in which he has an encounter with Seru Rambeni, which ends pretty much as you'd expect it to with Scott Staniforth never playing for the Wallabies ever again. He gets absolutely massacred in the tackle. It's his only touch of the ball in the game. It was literally his first passage of play on the field. So he was on for yeah. about a minute, then has to go back off for Huxley. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. And if I can leak to this, I think a few minutes earlier, it might be five minutes earlier, Rabini does the same to Beric Barnes. Yes, he Doesn't kills him. Quite the same outcome, but I was just so impressed by Barnes. Still had the sort of mental mindset to place it back quite beautifully. And then, in mm. fact, later on that same play, puts in a beautiful pinpoint kick over the top that just misses Lottie. I think I think it was actually in the right spot, but it just the the, the receivers couldn't quite make it. So it yeah, Rubini had a big impact a couple of minutes, but um killed one player and and, and Beric just bounced away. Yeah. So yeah, yeah going back to the, the previous point, Ghetto takes a quick tap. It's really nice. He catches the Fijians not ten. Uh, gets the ball up to Takuri who unfortunately doesn't score, gets done for holding on. There's a really nice bit of play by Kaya Maboli who spots Drew Mitchell in support and just shoves him off the p- the field. So no one's there to clear out Dunkuri, which is great. But when they get the ball back, it's Adamashi Cooper time. Hey. A hell of a line picked by him. But the combination of touches by Gregan and Gitto yeah. is yeah. absolutely beautiful to watch. And Gregan's I could little scoot... Dropping the ball off yeah. to Gitto. And then Gitto timing the pass just perfectly. I could watch Gitto and Ashley Cooper link up all day. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It, Gitto barely touches the ball. He almost just guides it, changes it directly. Yeah. To your willpower. And it just, um, timing is perfect for AAC. Oh, yeah. He's so good at that, isn't he? AAC. Mm. That one, it's his trademark try, I think. You know, because mm. that line is what he's known for. Mm. And then the dive, as I say, like he would never just plant the ball down one handed. He always did the proper high dive. And I loved watching that. It was such a kind of time capsule moment that mm. in the game because the slapping the turf, the whole thing. Yeah, I miss Ashley Cooper so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he knocks that one in. Uh, to use a different sports terminology that doesn't work at all. Yeah, Julian Huxley comes on and suddenly everything becomes wild because it's like he has absorbed the powers of the Fijians. And <laughs> this player that I always, you know, Julian Huxley, obviously his story is amazing and incredible. Yeah, he, yeah. A few months after this World Cup, really, he's diagnosed with a brain tumour and spends two years, you know, on the operating table, uh, comes back and plays Super Rugby again, which is absolutely amazing. But I remembered him as the player he was afterwards, you know, where he was far more, yeah. he was an intelligent, you know, kind of footballing yeah. half. Uh, Kicked very well. Yeah, great kicker, great kind of game manager, uh, really smart player. I never knew him as this kind of maverick, like running, like ball playing, sidestepping you know, like he was a skillful player that he is when he comes off the bench here. Yeah, he's one of those players. He probably had a bit of the Adam Ashley Cooper syndrome in that he played everywhere. You know, he, mm. he literally played from flight. He played 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 uh, 13, 11. I chuck 11 in there as well. So <laughs> he played pretty much everywhere in the back line. And I, it probably hindered him a little bit. So, you know, the chance to just come on as a reserve and just end up playing anywhere. Um, mm. was great, but always one of my favourite players. He played for the Reds too in a period, mm. ended up winning player of the year for the Reds in a, a pretty poor period, but he was still remarkable and just a great professional. And by all reports, just the, the loveliest of guys too. So uh, oh, as you say, a great story. He's yeah. one of those very rare players as well that went through, I suppose he didn't play for the Western Force, but, you know, the the four, 
what was once the four, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. provincial franchises, which I don't know how many players have done that, how many players have played for four. There, um, there's a handful. Quite a there's, there's actually one, I think it's Ruan Smith who's done them all. Oh. Um, so there's an account on Twitter, the Ruan Smith Trophy. So he's the big South African prop that played. And any time the Australian teams play each other, they play for the Ruan Smith Trophy. But, uh, you know, there's a guys like Scotty Favre who might have played with three or four. Okay. Josh there's a few. Not, mm. not many, though. Maybe less than a handful. Mm. Don't have an Alid Brew on our hands who played for all four Welsh regions. Uh, Tavis Moyle. Again, small list. Liam Davis. Yes. Much forgotten scrum half. He played about three Very games for each of them. No one's done all 12 teams in the English Premiership, though. I suppose, <laughs> you know, 2010 by the time you look. Yeah, Chris Ashton got close. Smaller. Yeah. The only Premiership clubs that will be standing by the end of next year will be the ones Ashton played for. <laughs> it's just as well he plays for so many. Uh, bring Worcester back. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so Stephen Hoyle scores a try off a Julian Huxley break. Mm. Mm. It's very much a sign of a team being completely overwhelmed by an attack. Yes, mm. and tired and not being organised in the first place. The moment you're too tired to scramble... Because like becomes a bit of a problem. The Australian attack is on second phase is pretty dire, and they still score. Like they're all stood extremely flat off each other. Clearly, haven't organised themselves. And Phil War comes in at first receiver. We've not mentioned Phil War that much, but actually, his kind of as a link player, I think he was huge in this game. And pops up, gives the assist to Hoyles, who goes over. He's kind of the image of what a seven was at this period. Yeah, where that link play was far more important. But he also except had to break down stuff. Smith. Yeah, yeah. Except if you're George Smith, who yeah. you were kind of a 10, 12 type player anyway. But yeah, War, War suffered because he was at the same time as George Smith and Smith would just do freaky stuff. And War <laughs> it's a tough gig, that, isn't it? And, Being an you know, absolutely class flanker who's behind George yeah, yeah. Smith. Right. Good luck to yeah. you. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, and, and I was saying, and yeah, like you say about the Aussie attack at the time, mm. when you're relying on Phil War to be your playmaker, you know, yeah, struggling a little bit, but he did well. And even Dan Vickerman, I think, got there and threw a nice little cutout mm. pass at the end as well. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I must yeah. say, Stephen Hoyles, who I'm a big fan of, is a great bloke and a great yeah. rugby brand. I, I'm a big yeah, fan scored of a few tries in, in his career, most of them out wide. He didn't mind lingering out <laughs> wide as a, as a sort of pretty fast, talented out, uh, back rower. So, most of them out wide. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Hoyles. He's, he seems like a really good bloke when they've had him on. You know, when he was because when he was captain at Super Rugby level, he was very happy to to jump on the mic uh, post game. Um, he was great yeah, yeah, fun. Yeah. Had some great run-ins with Steve Walsh as the ref too. Yes, mm. the one where he goes, "Oh, what is it?" When he goes, "Oh, that's a rubbish call." Steve Walsh marching back yeah. and he goes, "Good work." <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. No, big fan of Hoyles. Good to see him get on the score sheet. There's a gr- a couple of great points. One of them where where Drew Mitchell catches the ball whilst already stood in touch, and then goes, "Ah, oh, I forgot you can't do that." And didn't quite make my dick of the day list, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Good Speaking one. of potential dick of the day lists, a streaker comes on the field, which is mm. described by Simon Mannix as Shabal's cousin, yeah. uh, which isn't too inaccurate. Looking at the guy wearing a massive fake beard and hair, I think he's going for Shabal. Yeah, seemingly. They say, I don't know what he's protesting. The most he could be protesting is for Shabal to get a haircut. <laughs> it's, I don't think there's a deep cause here. Yeah, that seems fair enough. Fiji nearly score another really nice yeah. try. Rambeni makes this break on where he t- takes the ball on a switch and it looks like a hospital pass. 
But then you remember it's Saru bloody Rambeni and it's impossible to tackle him. So he just breaks clean through. Mm. And there's a lovely grubber then put in for the corner. Yeah. Lingari. You think he's going to... It's like a freakish ball that is incredibly difficult to finish. But the form Navu has been on, you think he's going to do it. Yeah. Watching the ball kind of bounce through his hands and miss this really difficult chance of three Australians around him, like an inch out from the line, feels unlucky. Very unlucky. To say how unlikely it would have been for like 99% of rugby players. Yeah. The 1% are all Fijians. (laughs) (laughs) And from the resulting line out, Mm. Australia go the distance to score their last try of the game. And this one is just... It's the box of tricks opening, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It's glorious. It's started it's... by the, the white gimp, as we call him, and Sam accordingly. Little bald blonde scrum, a uh, little bald scrum half with the sort of perfect little box kick from his own half. And um, you know, again, Lottie, that man, it snags the snags the mm. catch on the run. Lovely take, and then inside and and passes outside. And of course, who's running out wide again is Steve Hoyles. <laughs> <laughs> it's. You know, an enormously energetic cameo from him, isn't it? You know, he plays 15 minutes and he is absolutely everywhere. He runs basically the length of the pitch six times. He's a puppy. He's just glad to be here. When Gitto kind of gets it as the middleman between Taguri and Hoyles, there is like a moment where Gitto looks up and goes, oh, for God's sake, do you have to score this one from 50 metres that's going to go on the highlights reels as one of the best tries of the World Cup? And thankfully... For Gitto and indeed Drew Mitchell, Hoyles, he can't quite outpace De La Salle coming across from the fullback position. <laughs> it's close, though. He yeah. gives it a decent go. Yeah, and Hoyles eventually just really reluctantly passes to uh, Drew Mitchell outside him, who just dives in the corner. I mean, well taken. Really unlikely hat-trick for Drew Mitchell. It's strange that that's a hat-trick, isn't it? It feels like those are all three of his touches in the game, those yeah. three tries. Yeah, yeah. It's bizarre. So Mitchell holds the record for the most scored for the Wallabies at World Cups. Mm. But if you look back, he, you know, it's three in this sort of game. It's another three versus Japan. It's another like he really benefits from a, some of those sort of lesser games in sort of midweek games, so on. Uh, not taken from his record or his quality, but it's funny. He just he's opportunist. Got a lot of, yeah, yeah. Advantageous. Yes. Yeah. But then it is the amount of hat-tricks he managed to score as well. Yeah. yeah. He cleans up when he gets a chance. Yeah. he's He was always one of those players that loved to score multiple tries in the game. Yeah. yeah. He was scored a hat-trick he... in the semi-final in 2015, of course. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was almost rare that he'd score. Almost rare that oh, no, he'd that was AAC, wasn't it? Rather than, you know, two or yeah, three. Yeah, got the, the three versus... Um, yeah. But he might have got two, Australia. I think. Argentina. Argentina. Is Argentina? Yeah, they I did Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, he scored a bunch in 2015 as well. Mm. And not necessarily all against tier two opposition. No, right. he crushed it that year. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I believe that brings us on to full time. Yep. Yeah. So the whistle goes, all comes to an end. And I believe... <laughs> Greg is put out of his misery. <laughs> yeah. As is Nigel Owens, you can get back to entertaining a cat of the ring in his small home in South Wales. And there's one thing at full time that I really want to ask you about, Reg, if that's okay. Where do you stand on, at Australian sporting events, men in work being played? <laughs> it's, it, it's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that's worse than it is when they play Slice of Heaven for New Zealanders. 
you know, Dave Dobbin's slice of heaven. You know, it's just, yeah. you've kind of one of those things you've just got to embrace and smile and sing along yeah. to knowing that, you know, you know, they're not even Australian. You know? <laughs> yeah. It always struck me as something that if I was Australian, I would desperately hate. Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. I mean, we, we sit back and, um, enviously look at some of those the, the chants that come from the uk and the beautiful singing from you know wales and stuff and <laughs> jesus what do we come up with it's it's aussie 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 oi 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 and uh and uh men at work <laughs> <laughs> at least the other voice try and understand it isn't as yeah. on the nose yeah you know it's there's there's more redeeming there uh yeah it's I just wanted to get a take on that. I've always, I've always assumed. Yeah, <laughs> it's always that, thing. isn't it? They never just throw in, never just throw in Tame Impala as a curveball. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're surveying the team and say which song do you want to celebrate to post game. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what that nineteen eighties song from. With yeah, the not bizarre. heard that in a while. Yeah, we're now decades into them playing this at every Australia sporting fixture in every sport. Like, I don't know if that's uh, just why rugby league's so big, because so much of it is played in Australia, meaning they don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> Success strategy, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's the only place you can get to get away from it. It's why, like, Jack Dempsey, you know, fled off to Scotland purely <laughs> to get away from that song. You want to hear the Proclaimers instead played constantly. Yeah, it's a, it's a legitimate point. Well, we should be mentioning it to Rugby Australia. It might be our... Strategy for recruitment and retention. <laughs> Bring it up in the AGM. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, should we do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Let's. Should we start with Man of the Match? Sure. Will, do you want to kick us off? Let's do it. So, even though we've slightly taken the piss out of him a little bit, I do think Lost Curry does, on balance, have a really good game. So he's yeah. somebody that I want to want to bring up. Phil Waugh, another one who was brilliant. Wycliffe Palu, again, we mentioned him passing, but every involvement he has is really positive. But I have to say, the man of the match for me, the guy who controlled everything was the real heartbeat and scored two tries, Matt Gitto. I'm in complete agreement. Yeah, I think Takuri in the end has a good game, as you say, you know, but there's that kind of mixed bag of the first half. Yeah, Palu, Phil Wall, Rocky Elson, I think as well, with a bit of mention, there's a one huge turnover he makes. But Drew Mitchell scored a hat-trick, so you kind of have to mention him. But <laughs> Rotuva, Fafiji, I think, plays very well. But yeah, yes, really, he's brilliant. Regan, well, I'm just reading the team sheet at this point. Beric Barnes, um, <laughs> you've got Stephen Moore with hair. No, so, no, Matt Gitto. Matt Gitto, I've almost not got a second thought. All right, well, I gave it a second thought. Yeah, so my top three, yeah, Rotuva, I thought was a standout for Fiji. Love watching mm. him play. My standouts for the Wallabies were Palu and Gitto, as you mentioned. And maybe if he wasn't his the best player, he was the one that reminded me or woke me up again. I was just blown away by Beric Barnes again. Mm, yeah. It was just so composed. And, and, and maybe you put it in the perspective, and I know you've talked about it given the first game versus Wales. The guy was 21. You know, he was sort of his second year back from rugby league. You know, we'd built our whole campaign on Larkham, 
being the the one that was going to see us mm. through. He's gone in the first game, and Barnes has to come on and replace him, and then plays. and And this is this is third game for Australia, second start. And I just thought he was so damn composed. You know, Gitz was the was you know, the jazz and the sparkle, absolutely and absolute class. But I just thought the poise of this twenty one year old sort of leaguey coming over was just beautiful. It's you know, kicking was on point. He buried it. You know, that we talked about the drop goal was really well taken. Mm. But even I just remember some of his passing was just so precise, his wide passing. And I just thought it, you know, it was such a, a remarkable game. I, and maybe part of the story of the World Cup for him. And I know he had a prolonged career, but it was, you know, it almost started so high, maybe not mm. quite reached the same, at least from a Wallaby perspective, the same heights. But I, yeah, I, he was the one. I, you know, had forgotten how composed he was and how good he was in this tournament. I, I thought he was exceptional. So he's my man of the match. It's a great selection. You, you've kind of taught me about <laughs> <laughs> You make an incredibly composed, because he is. He's just glorious to watch. Yeah. The yeah. sheer accuracy of everything he does. Yeah. He's like phenomenal. His skill set's incredible, oh, yeah. yet it almost pales in comparison with his brain, you know? Mm. So, so good. He was still going in this era, and he's maybe, you know, a few years younger, in this era of the Wallabies recalling fly halves from the past all the time. <laughs> yes. You know, yes, yes. with Cooper and Foley and so on coming back and, you know, ditto until whenever. So, but you know, Jones has brought him back as a coaching consultant. I see. Okay. So, so, so what Beric's been doing he's after he do left well. Japan, he's been coaching or sort of playing coaching down at Lennox Head, which is a little coastal village south of Byron Bay, tiny little <laughs> town. So a local pub team, the type of team you'd have to grab guys out of the pub to play for. He's been kind of coaching them. Next minute, he's assistant coach of the Wallabies. So, That's incredible. What a Eddie, great Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones magic once again. Oh, we'll see if it all comes off. But yeah. a great guy to have part of the team. He's basically just a kicking consultant. But He'll, he'll do well. well. Yeah, Eddie just wants fun. someone to talk to about cricket. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> just exactly right. exactly him over right. for that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we understand yeah. his analogies at last. Yeah, that's right. Dick of the day. So I was mildly struggling until full time came. And I don't know if you both saw this as well. You know that thing when the game finishes and the players all go, you know, the dog around the pitch doing a little like clap and applause for the crowd and whatever else, shaking hands, etc. And you put the camera kind of mingling in there, walking into it. Lottie Takuri on his birthday is dawdling past, he's kind of doing his, he does a brief look into the camera, goes past, starts clapping the crowd, at which point he walks into the camera. Oh, yes, I did it, see the this. The camera kind of nudges, and he then goes, oh, sorry. And the two, they cut away. <laughs> Never seen another player walk into the cameraman. And for that, <laughs> and acknowledge the jury, yes, and apologise to him, which I respect. I respect his politeness. For that, Lottie Takuri is my dick of the day. I love, love it. it. I love it. My earliest shout for Dick of the Day was as Nigel Starmer Swift was kind of setting the scene, the mm. camera goes onto some Fijian woman in the crowd and he goes, Oh, isn't she pretty? It's oh, no. Such a kind of, you know, pseudo Markella kind of way. But I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on this one occasion because I think that was that was said with genuine innocence. I mean, the, the De La Salle incident wasn't great for him. And Scott Staniforth spending one minute on the pitch also doesn't really fall in his favour. However, there was a point, that me- that moment you mentioned earlier, Reg, with th- uh, after the Takuri kick, where Fiji have a little a bit of an attack and Lovignani passes to Seremiah Bai, who drops it. And Seremiah Bai, out of frustration, attempts to hack the ball downfield and completely misses it. 
and it looks horrible. And then he really tries to style it out like, oh yeah, that's what I was meaning to do. And so I had that written down and thought, that's a really spectacular missed fly hack you've done there. You're in dick of the day contention. However, Mark Chisholm then goes and one-ups him by also doing a spectacular missed fly hack, except this one ends up in the highlight reel because it leads to a try. <laughs> and so after that Mitchell try, they show like a front-on angle of Mark Chisholm, slow motion, really trying hard to fly hack the ball and missing it spectacularly. So for the fact that he has outdone Saramaya Bai and ended up on the highlight reel doing so, missing a fly hack, Mark Chisholm's my dick of the day. Fantastic. And Reg? Um, yeah, okay. So I, I, I didn't get anything from the game, but I, I, I think I caught this one quite early. So this was pre-game. And I, hmm. the dick of the day, I guess, is the, the home broadcaster, director or producer or whatever. Now, I'm all for slow-mo, super slow-mo in sports. I mean, from a highlights package to see, you know, the muscles ripples and the face contort and the sort of the ball, you know, bend with the kick and all that sort of stuff. But these guys, I don't know if you saw it, and, and go back and watch it if you didn't. These guys used it on spectators pre-game. So super slow-mo. And all it was was spectators adjusting their binoculars <laughs> or having a drink of a drink. And it's, you know, it can be really effective on sports, you know, highlights, but super slow snippets of these spectators brushing a fly away. It was just, <laughs> it was needless, you know, and, and didn't create any sense of atmosphere at all. I just thought it was a bizarre choice. Didn't pick up much during the game, um, but I thought that caught me from the start. I thought that was bizarre. It's great. That's fantastic. Okay, that brings us to the close, to the, the 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 end, the final whistle, you could say, if you love metaphors relating to sport, and I don't. Never perhaps at the Twitter if you would get retrospective. Uh, Reg, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff if they want to see, hear, taste more? Yeah, okay. So pretty much solely on Twitter these guys. So at Rugby Reg, you'll see me there if you're happy to get lots of inane Reds rugby chat. Fantastic. I just want to again say thanks for coming on man like obviously love the content you put on twitter and you know wherever else you end up on the internet i think that your you know insight and humor into uh australian rugby as a general is something that everybody needs to get on and follow mm. so could not recommend it enough uh, thanks will and Robbie. really enjoyed this it was um it's great I, you know I've, I've, uh, as you know i love the history of the game and 2007 mm. doesn't feel too historical, but it was. A, I really enjoyed the experience. So thanks for you. Yeah. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for doing it. As you say, it's fantastic. You're phenomenal follow, and I can't wait to see where you know and hear more about the the the, the, the heritage centre. Like that sounds really exciting. As I kind of yeah. as a building, and you know, rugby history is too often kind of left to one or two odd books. And yeah, it's really exciting to see more being done to you know move it, bring it up to date, and make it more accessible. So, yeah, that's really exciting. For sure. So thank you, Verge. Thank you, Will. Thank you to everyone that has listened to this. Please join us next time <laughs> when the game will be Scotland nil, New Zealand 40. <laughs> it should be great. We have a guest. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a prospect that's going to be. We'll see you next week. Until then, thank you very much and good night. Goodbye. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.